Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Azure podcast with your hosts, Sam Foote and Anne Armstrong. If you're new here, we're a pair of Azure and Microsoft 365 focused IT security professionals. It's episode 17 of season four. Alan and I recently had a discussion around Cosmos DB, a globally available, scalable and flexible NoSQL and relational database system. Here are some of the things that we discussed. What is Cosmos DB and how is it different from traditional database management systems? What APIs are supported and how do you choose between them? The operational considerations of Cosmos DB and how it's licensed. We've noticed a large number of you aren't subscribed. If you do enjoy our podcast, please do consider subscribing. It would mean a lot for us for you to show your support to the show. It's a really great episode, so let's jump in. Hey, Alan, how are you doing this week? Hey, Sam, not doing too bad. How are you? Yep, good, thank you. Uh, Ignite in person, sold out. Um, is that a first? Has that happened before? Uh, I think it's I think it's sold out before, but I don't think as quickly. Yeah. It's only been announced for a couple of weeks, three weeks max, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I I don't know. I I I, I agree with you. It it feels uh, pretty rapid. You know, is that sign of, you know, the world back to normal or a smaller event? Yeah, well, the, we don't really know at this stage. Well, last year was the first in person at since the pandemic, wasn't it? So people were probably a bit weary to be to be fair and, you know, I I had attended, so you know it was. It was definitely um, felt like it was like the first one back, kind of yeah. things. But uh, looking at some of the stuff that was um, put on the list for what you get in in person, uh, it sounds like it, it scaled up again, or at least getting there, kind of thing. So no wonder people sort of decided to go for it again. Yeah, one hundred percent. And it sounds to me like there's a lot of buzz around Ignite. Um, feels like there's going to be lots of big um, announcements. More co-pilots, do you think? More AI? More AI everywhere? <laughs> Something like that? Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't, I've not seen too much, but I expect a lot of some of the co-pilots we've heard about will probably start coming into public view or maybe you know going GA. I mean, I don't know which ones will do that, but I expect some of them will start to sort of go down that route. Because um, we do see a lot of those um announcements of you know public public preview or private preview sort of capability um then becoming ga you know at ignite so so yeah yeah it'd be, it'd be good to see i hope um it is as big and sort of interactive you know in person as it once was if that makes sense you know pre pandemic so no it's good to see it um you know selling out yeah, and I suppose the other thing of last year's one was that they had loads of little, I say small, but they had regional Ignite centres, didn't they? There was like one up in Manchester in the UK, and there's some around Europe and things like that, wasn't there? So I suppose maybe it spread, the, 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 the people count spread across those sort of events, so people could experience it locally without having to travel. Now, you know, Microsoft brought it back to the central location. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so Sam, what are we talking about this week? Yep, so this week it's um, Cosmos DB. Um, I'm going to say it's a relatively large and unique, um, you know, database proposition uh, from Microsoft. Um, so yeah, we 
we use Cosmos um, in one of its flavors um, quite extensively. So, yeah, I thought it was um, worth doing an episode on for sure. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, like you said, we've only used probably a small, small chunk of its uh, capability in our sort of day to day. So, yeah, so let's, let's crack on. So I guess start off with, you know, what is Cosmos DB? Okay, so um, if we if we talk about more you know traditional um, databases um, to start off with, I suppose is probably a good way um, to sort of uh, begin because I think we've got to really understand why um, Cosmos DB exists and what you know challenges it's aiming to to solve um, because it, it, traditionally you would have a database server uh, that might sit in the corner of your office or in your data center. Um, and that would be a physical server or computer. Um, and, you know, you would, um, you would traditionally it would be a, a relational database. So something like um, SQL Server um, or maybe um, an open source flavor like MySQL, Postgres, um, you know, it's something like that. Um, and obviously we've had a, you know, an overall shift um, into cloud workloads. Um, you know, and that's that's obviously been driven by um, cost reduction, management, you know, um, overhead reduction. So, you know, it's possible to spin up, you know, uh, relational databases in Azure. Um, there's nothing stopping you uh, provisioning a virtual machine, installing SQL Server on it and connecting to it, well, remotely, um, like you've done before. Uh, but modern applications and platforms... Um, need to scale sometimes beyond that. Um, so, you know, there's there's an element of vertical scaling with SQL servers. You know, you can give it more resources, more uh, more powerful uh, processors, more, more memory, uh, but you get to a um, scaling limit. And at that point, you then look to things like clustering um, to, to effectively pull resources um, across multiple machines. And for instance, you can do that with SQL Server um, and you can do that with uh, most modern and mature um, database management systems. Um, but what they're, I suppose, not great at is sort of um, um, sort of geographically and remote clustering, um, where you effectively have nodes maybe even spread around the world. Um, you know, a, a lot of um, technology now needs to be globally distributed and globally available you know if you've got a um, a bunch of users in australia as an example and your um, databases um, your databases and well even your web servers are hosted say in the uk um, you've just got a physical you know um, transfer delay there just you know literally going halfway around the world so it, uh, so sort of uh, distributing um binary content like images and 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 files has been handled by C, you know content delivery networks effectively servers that sit out you know near your isp which distribute your 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 um uh, blobs binary large um objects um out to the edge but databases where all of your well your data is stored um scaling those out and making them you know globally available has always been a challenge. Um, so along comes uh, Cosmos DB. And what Cosmos DB is 
um, uh, wrapping up and packaging for you is a fully managed um, database um, uh, solution. And the idea is that it is um, uh, geographically scalable um, and also instantly scalable as well. So it might not also be that you need things you know, spread out over long distances. You may need incredibly high throughputs. So imagine things like social media um, uh, sites where users are submitting you know, um, thousands or tens of thousands of, say, posts per second. You can imagine, you know, everybody on, um, I was going to say Twitter, X, um, posting, uh, you know, re replies to other users. You know, the amount of um, data that you have to ingest and, and store, um, you need, like, high levels of um, scalability there. Now, ultimately, you've got web servers and proxies that sit on the edge, um, you know, and load balancers, which help to funnel that traffic into, um, you know, into your sort of inner platform and solution. But you, you have to store that data somehow at some point. You know, somebody wants to be able to go back and read, you know, their their tweets or their responses or, you know, uh, browse to somebody else's. So we need to be able to store those. Um and traditionally, you would you would start off with um, a relational database, and that's effectively where you've got uh, tables of data that have relationships between them. Um, so, for instance, a a post may have many replies, and they are two tables, um, and they are related together um, through that parent-child relationship of you know one post can have many replies. As a basic example, we've now got um, a slightly well, a newer way of uh, thinking about storing data, which is called um, NoSQL. Um, and it's effectively a um, the ability to store um, data, usually JSON blobs of data, um, but with very little um, relationships to other um, streams, collections, or tables of data. So where we would have traditionally normalized data, split it all apart across multiple tables and multiple collections. NoSQL um, basically flips that on its head and stores everything in, in blobs effectively. Um, I've probably just butchered, you know, we can have a whole episode on NoSQL and relationship, relational databases and how they work. But essentially, you know, relational databases, um, more traditional in approach, still very relevant. You know, I'm not saying that their legacy and outdated you know i think that would be unfair to say and then you've got um, no sequel which is a more it's it's a newer technology but it, it approaches um, storing data in a different way um so you've got these two different types of um uh, data storage mechanisms and in some applications you have a mix of both because they're you know some are, are better in one area than another um so what Cosmos DB is really, it's really built from the ground up to be a sort of a cloud first and modern approach to um, a, a database platform. Because in Cosmos DB, you can actually pick from different types of database technology and effectively you can mix and match them. It's, it's kind of a bit bizarre. So um, I will go through each of the APIs um, later, but... Uh, uh, 
imagine that you create a Cosmos DB account and then you can fire up um, any different version of an API um, independently of another. So it's quite weird in the sense of, you know, if you just brought up a SQL server previously, you would just get an Azure SQL server. But a Cosmos DB could be, it could be NoSQL, it could be table storage, it could be Postgres. Um, there's there's different APIs that are available. And, uh, you know, uh, tradi traditionally, you might say, oh, well, there should be a, you know, Cosmos DB uh, Postgres edition, and it's a completely separate um, sort of uh, resource. Um, but this really sort of um, groups them together and has them under one, which can make it a little bit comp uh, a bit confusing, really, because, you know, um, two people that are managing Cosmos DB accounts could be using completely different technologies, right? And uh, I believe what Microsoft's trying to do here is to give development teams flexibility. So they haven't approached it in the way of here's Cosmos DB. This is something that you have to, you know, uh, learn and understand and SME and skill in in order to get the benefits of this globally and you know global availability and and scale you know scalable platform that we've built. Um, you can use you can use our we'll call it like you know um, our newer. Um, bespoke approach, you know, our, our NoSQL implementation. Um, or you can also um, use one of um, the APIs that you, you currently use. So from a migration perspective, that's really good for application development teams because in theory, they can reuse the SDKs they currently use. So, you know, if they were currently using MongoDB as an example, and maybe they were hosting it themselves and they've realized that they've They've got to the edge of what they can do with um, high availability and making it globally available. Um, you know, in theory, you know, and don't quote me on this, <laughs> but you could effectively point, you know, your application at a MongoDB account with Cosmos DB and it would just work. You know, obviously you would have to have, you might need to pre-fill it with some data or migrate some data or start completely from fresh. But in theory, um, it, it would work. And this this ability for Cosmos, so, so you've got the API perspective, which is you know really really important. But really, the the main benefit, uh, the what uh, the the key sort of the key benefit is really um, the scalability. So being able to have um, multiple nodes geographically spaced that are synchronized together in a fully managed service, you know, um, in a more traditional setup. You know, saying that, oh, I want a, I want my primary region to be the UK, and I also want a read replica in America, or a live live replica in America, and being able to just, you know, um, enable that with a couple of clicks, takes away a huge amount of infrastructure overhead and management. So, so really, you know, that's that's what you're getting there. You're also getting, um, you, you know, the throughput and the speed element. Um, is being handled by uh, Microsoft as well. So provisioning of resource, scaling that resource to meet your demand. Um, we'll talk about billing as well, but you know the, the the level of scalability that you can get to in throughput is just you know um, it's 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 insane. Um, 
And also because it's got this sort of multi-node architecture and this scalable architecture, um, it's got one of the highest um, business continuity and SLA um, availability levels of anything um, in Azure. It's got it's got um, 99.999, which we call five nines of um, SLA and availability, um, which, you know, for cloud and well, I call it for cloud. Um, that is a very, very high benchmark. I'm not sure there's much else that's higher than it. I think it's like Azure DNS might be higher because I think that's that's supposed to be completely fault tolerant. Um, so it's 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 really high up there, um, basically. Um, and really as well, because it's it's based on sort of a consumption model, um, uh, we will talk about how you license it and how throughput is defined. But, you know, um, you've got the, the consumption scalability element of it. You can start with there is a free tier that gives you a lot of benefit um, and then you can scale up and consume um, as you go. So um, you, you've got the ability to react to spiky and scalable uh, traffic but also uh, manage your costs and understand um you know have flexibility in the levels that you want to go to wow okay that's definitely a lot of um <clears throat> information there um to digest um do you think so you know you got these other sort of types of databases apis um sort of based into it do you do you kind of feel like um the the Cosmos DB account is kind of like the management plane to help you do that that whole like you've got you you've got your management plane and then you go hey right now I've got a, a a database you know whichever sort of type it's now in that ecosystem or the, you know that management plane so then you can do what you need with it like you said does it kind of feel like that yeah if you uh, the way that I sort of think about it is is that Cosmos DB is the wrapper it's also the platform that you build on top of if that makes sense it's giving yeah. yeah yeah that's a good probably a good word for it the fabric that you sit on top of it's it's giving you the ability to scale you know um, horizontally globally and also vertically as well it's handling all of that for you and you're plonking on top your api or apis um that you want to run um on top of it yeah okay cool Okay, so can you you talk us through you know the different APIs options then? Yeah, um, so um, the 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 first one is API for NoSQL, um, which effectively is a um, is Microsoft's own um, approach on NoSQL. Um, so there there are other NoSQL um, technologies, and we'll talk about um, talk talk about some of those as we go through. Um, but effectively, it's a document store. So you 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 load and you retrieve documents. Um, but what is kind of interesting about NoSQL um, from Cosmos DB is you can actually write SQL. It's a bit weird, like, <laughs> even though it's called NoSQL. So one of the one of the um, I don't really want to delve into it too much, but one of the sort of complexities about moving to a NoSQL system is, is the way that you filter and retrieve data. It's different from a relational and more traditional database management system. You know, in a traditional database management system, you would write SQL and you could filter your results and um, you could mutate the data. You could join the data. You could do very different things with it. So when you move to a NoSQL system, you sometimes lose the ability to do that. 
But what, what Microsoft did is they allowed you to um, write um, SQL um, uh, queries. Um, and and you can also, it's not full SQL. You can't do like everything, um, but it gives you some real power, especially if you come from a SQL background. So they sort of, they, they, they moved, they, they added a NoSQL API, but they didn't forget about, you know, the types of um, enterprises and, you know, um, SMEs that they've been training for years that use SQL Server, right? You know, um, there is a a sort of a stepping stone to pure NoSQL. But I think it's actually better than pure NoSQL personally for me. But, you know, um, that's because I know those tools. The other part of it as well is that you can do um, what's called stored procedures. Um, so a stored procedure um, in sort of um, the more traditional SQL Server sense was a TSQL um, um is it a script i suppose is the right um thing to say um which allowed you to do many different sql operations one after another sort of computer result and then have an output um they don't use tsql um in cosmos db they use uh, javascript um because you're working on json documents um it 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 does make sense to use javascript there because um the sort of the interaction between JSON and JavaScript is like first party. So it, it makes a lot of sense. So there's a lot that you can do um, in those stored procedures. Um, and we use them to mutate data because it's very easy in JavaScript um, to mutate and transpose data. Um, you know, especially if you're using low or low or no code um, solutions. Um, so yeah, so um, API for NoSQL, great. Um, if you're if you're looking for a, um, a, a NoSQL data store, but you still want to sort of have some of those niceties that, you know, SQL Server gave you, um, NoSQL is a really uh, great, great option for you. The next is um, MongoDB. So MongoDB is, uh, I believe it's open source. Don't quote me on that. I think it's open source. Um, I don't know what the license is like. Um, I haven't done MongoDB for, for years. Um, but MongoDB is a um, a NoSQL um, database storage mechanism. It doesn't store in JSON. It stores in uh, BSON. But um, a MongoDB um, is a completely independent, you know, um, database um, database system. Now, what's interesting is, is here, this is where you're starting to get these third-party APIs that you can integrate into your previous application. You know, if if you if you ran a MongoDB instance and you needed scalability and you wanted to take away the ops and all of that sort of stuff, uh, ops being operations, um, you could effectively add MongoDB to your Cosmos DB account and you could connect to it and use it in effectively the same way um, that you did before. You just don't have to worry about scaling, high availability, geo-replication, setting up multiple write locations, um, you know, management of shards. There's lots of technology that's going on and being handled for you um, if you currently use MongoDB. So something to definitely look at. Um, PostgreSQL is is uh, PostgreSQL is the next um, is the next element. Obviously, a massively popular database management system and um postgres you know is it's quite interesting because it is a relate you know a relational 
database management system, but it does actually have its own NoSQL um, built-in um, column type. Um, so it's a bit of a jack of all trades. I'm not going to say master of none because it is a master of pretty much everything <laughs> that, it, that it does. <laughs> but again, like MongoDB, if you're running uh, Postgres, then it, it may make sense to hand off the management of it uh, for you. Um, it's it's using this, um, I think it's called the Citus open source uh, wrapper on top. Um, and Citus, I believe, um, gives um, Postgres the ability to horizontally scale and distribute. Um, so this is, again, Microsoft packaging that open source functionality and allowing you to, to, to integrate with it. Um, the next two I have absolutely no experience with because they are not database management systems I've ever even um, uh, tested. Actually, that's a lie. Um, I did once try to run Apache Cassandra and I couldn't get it to work, so I just noped out of it one weekend. <laughs> um, but if um, if Apache Cassandra or Apache Gremlin um, are, are your are your you know thing in your bag and you don't want to manage them, um, then um, Cosmos DB um, supports um, both of those, um, and I I believe that Apache Gremlin is a graph um, database. We will not talk about graph databases and what they are in this. That is another episode um, in itself. Um, but if that if if those types of technologies are what you know and in your tool bag and your kit bag, then um, you have the ability to use them there. There is also uh, the last API is a more basic NoSQL. They call it the table API, and it's it's basically for key value um, storage. Um, but what is cool about um, the table uh, storage system is it's I believe its API and SDK are uh, intercompatible with the table storage that's inside of storage accounts. Um, so if you currently use table storage in an Azure storage account, um, then um, you could, in theory, migrate your data to Cosmos and use the same connector, but get the scalability uh, that is bigger than one um, storage account. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's, it, it, yeah, I, I guess my kind of statement before you, you sort of dived into them kind of rings true again. It makes more sense that, it, you know, Cosmos DB is that, is that fabric to help you do that scaling and like almost like your broker in some form to your to your multiple database you know, capability yeah. and and you're right you know being able to have those um those those database types or apis that you, know, you may have on prem or may have in azure on their own and need to do that scaling to in effect somewhat migrate it in some form to cosmos db to give you that global flexibility or scalability seems insane yeah, well if if you think about it right if cosmos db the actual thing that it's bringing you you know the feature that it's giving you is the scalability you know and the the high availability as an example right mm -hmm. and we know that those two things and perform you know and that's intermingled with the performance those are three really hard things to get right at scale right so Microsoft approached it in the way of, and, you know, there are other clouds and other technologies, right? But I think what, what Microsoft have done is they've gone, is they've said, right, we'll build that fabric, that base, that foundation for you and all of this functionality. Um, but then thought, 
what's the highest barrier to entry? Oh, somebody, you know, um, learning our technology, right? Mm -hmm. So yep. they went with no sequel, but kind of made it very similar to Azure sequel. It's not the same thing, but there's some of the same DNA and elements there. There's like, what, four different open source database management system, some of them relational as well, Postgres. So just having those four is a, is a massive amount of the, you know, the overall market, right? So, you know, um, if you've got your site reliability engineers and infrastructure engineers going, we need to move to a managed platform. Then they're talking to their application development teams going, we want to use X technology. It's not a, you know, a, a fight at that point going, oh, we've got to reskill and we've got to learn all these new technologies. If you're using Mongo and using Postgres, in theory, and big asterisks, right? Because this is just a podcast you're listening to and we don't know anything <laughs> about your application, right? But in theory, you know, um, you're connecting to something that's very similar to what you do um, today. So it's not a reimagine of your, your, your toolkit and, and all of those things, you know? So I think that's really smart because... But, you know, they have built their own thing, NoSQL, and also Table as well. So, you know, if, you, if you're building a completely new app and you're happy with, you know, vendor lock-in, with locking into Cosmos, because Azure is your world and you're not going anywhere else, they've got you covered there from a, you know, completely new, I say new, but a more modern approach. Um, but then you've also got these other, you know, scenarios. You know, if you if you use Postgres, there's no vendor lock-in. You know, you can come and use Cosmos. You know, and and you can create get the benefit from it. And um, and I know this is a you know Azure focused podcast, but if you don't like it, you know, there's absolutely no lock-in for you. So they bring the platform, you bring your IP and your smarts, combine them together, and they'll happily take a fee every month from you for you know. Um, giving you that flexibility and and you're right as well around the the migration to it you know because if it was just no sequel you might have to and you want that scalability that reliability you'd have to re-engineer or remodel your data to fit into json etc or your tables if that's exactly. all that was available where this is like you said it's maybe a, a slight api change because it may be a little bit different but accessing your data and the format of it and that your data model is you know fed just you know, plow it into into cosmos db in your mongodb database so yeah yeah exactly okay so we kind of talked about scaling and and things like that about how it can do it but um you know how does it actually handle it okay so it's it's probably worth talking about um throughput and how that's handled um as a starting point um, so this does depend on the APIs that you're using. So I'll talk about both because kind of like databases, there's two ways that throughput and resources allocated. Um, let's talk about vCore cause that's probably the most simplistic to start off with. You, you effectively provision virtual cores and you can scale those virtual cores up and down, uh, to meet um, your your requirements. The other um, uh, avenue is what's called request units or RUs, 
and that's really where you define it's, it's very similar to DTUs um, in the database world. Um, if you're using Azure SQL, you'll probably know about DTUs. But effectively, a request unit is a is a representation of um, the the resource required to do various operations. So I'll give you an example. A read maybe just one RU, okay? If you do um, an insert, that might be two because you're inserting and then you're reading something back, returning something back. An upsert, the same. Um, a delete, maybe. Um, and then a query. So if you're querying the data in your data store, it could be a variable number of resource units, you know, because you might, you might bring back like multiple... Um, uh, results in one go. You might be modifying the data in some way. Um, and effectively what you can do is you can you can work in a number of different ways. You can provision your throughput if that's what um, you, you effectively want to do. Um, so you can do it in increments of 100 RUs. Um, and you can effectively just keep notching that up and just have it at a flat scale. So if you know that your application uses 100 RUs and it never changes. Let's say you've got some internal, I don't know, you've got some batch processing, I, I don't know. Something that just consistently, that's very, in my opinion, I've never seen that before. So it's not a thing that I've ever had to deal with, you know, any <laughs> any traffic or throughput that I've seen has always been highly variable. So I've never had the luxury of um, doing that, but you can effectively set the amount of RUs. Um, and then um, there's the serverless mode. Um, you don't assign any throughput um, and effectively it just scales up and down to meet the demand um, of what you've, you've, you've set. Serverless is great for that flexibility of scaling up, scaling down rapidly. But, you know, a word of caution there, when you have, quotes, infinite scalability, you'll meet any demand that is asked of you. If, if that makes sense, right? I'm thinking denial of service attacks, X, Y, and Z, um, things like that. Um, and then there's also an auto-scaling um, mode as well. So you can you can sort of get a blend of both of those and just notch up and down as you go um, at different um, times of the day and, and bits like that. Some things you need to think about with RUs is um, sort of the items that you're, um, you're, you're, you're querying like the size of the items increases the number of RUs that are consumed, whether the items are indexed, indexed. There's 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 a there's a whole host of different um, metrics that go into the calculation of how many RUs um, are consumed. Um, RUs are also provisioned on a per region basis. So um, you know if you have provisioned, what you can do in Cosmos is you can have um, two regions that mirror each other effectively, you know, um, an active, active, um, you know, failover, or you could have a read, write replica. There's different ways of handling that. Um, but you can effectively provision, I, um, it's not IOPS, sorry, um, RUs um, in those different regions. Um, so, um, and you can, you can also, there's a, there's a, I won't go into it in depth, but there's a you can uh, define your consistency model. 
like how um multiple nodes become eventually consistent you know you write to one node and how that then propagates over to another node dependent on how you have that set up can increase or decrease the amount of um RUs that are, that are required i'm not going to go into it because this is just a you know a podcast um there is also a free tier so everybody i believe um gets the first a thousand rus per second oh yeah that's probably worth saying an ru is rus per second um is the metric so you get your first thousand rus per second and 25 gigabytes of storage for free um and that is that is enough because I think the minimum provision storage for a container of data, I think, is 400. Don't quote me on that, but I believe it's 400. Um, yeah, I see the 200. I'm sure it's 400. So it basically gets you at least two containers. Um, and the wording might be different depending on API, etc. But you, so you basically get a really good start. Um, and especially if you're using like NoSQL because you can store different types of data in a single container and there's many different things going on there. Um, but yeah, you're going to get that. And I believe it's per subscription, I think, if I remember yeah, rightly. I was just about to ask. I, I think it's per subscription. So it's not like you can go free everywhere kind of thing it's it's per subscription no, everybody would just have one <laughs> container in every, and then have like a thousand storage accounts right <laughs> um and what you can also do is you can limit the total amount of throughput for a whole account so you can set it at the per um like database and container level so you can be very granular about which databases and which containers of data um have the amount of resource they do um, and you can um, set a maximum limit as as well. Um, there is a um, there is a there is a calculation to you know convert um, uh, V cores to um, RUs. I can't say that I've ever have ever used that because everything I've ever really done in Cosmos DB has been quite low uh, throughput. I've never I've never got to you know tens or thousands or even tens of thousands of requests per second you know um that's just with my experience with um cosmos i've just never got to to that um so 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 yeah so that's really about how throughput and and that's really all you tweak in the portal you basically say where you want your throughput and provisioned resource to be Maybe you want it in one place. Maybe you want it in two places. You tell it how it's consistent and how they talk to each other. Um, and then you don't do anything. You wait for the portal to create your resources and then you can start building on it. Um, everything under the hood um, is completely um, handled um, for you. Um, and and what, what's quite interesting about that is um, for... For NoSQL databases, um, horizontal scaling and, and replication is built into a lot of those technologies because they're more modern technologies. But I think what is particularly impressive um, is Microsoft's wrapping of Postgres and relational databases and making them globally distributed. Um, because 
that is not a simple task. That is um, getting um, in traditional relational databases. We um, we we have there's a, there's a thing called ACID guarantees. Don't quote me on the acronym, but it basically it basically guarantees that your uh, transactions and your writes and reads from the databases won't clash with other people um, as you go to effectively update and read data. Um, so having ACID compliance globally is like a very complicated thing, in my opinion. So the fact that you can just provision it um, and, you know, and get cracking is 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 really powerful. Wow. Okay. And I think... If I remember, you have to to get that SLA, um, the five, five nines. I think you have to have it at least in two different regions, isn't it? I think that's, that's what correct. You need. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then it's that for across, you know, scaling out. So I think yeah. single one isn't too bad either, is it? It's not the worst. Yeah, I don't know. Is it four nines? I think it's four. Can't remember. It's either three nines and a half or four nines. I can't rem- I can't remember what it is, yeah. but I believe you have to have a secondary write region. I believe not just a read replica, if right. I remember rightly. Um, um, but the I, I must admit, you know that's that word document that has the SLAs in it. I can't remember the name of it, but every single time if you search for <laughs> Azure SLAs, um, there's slacharts.com or something like that which is a really gra- great graphical interface of it but there's also this word document which is like the worldwide sla doc and i have to download it like <laughs> twice a week <laughs> um and um it doesn't update that often i just don't keep a copy of it i just go to the website again uh, but that's got a really good breakdown of um what you need to get the different um levels and it does explain it um, quite well. Um, I'm sure the docs do as well, but I just go to the actual SLA docs to get that that information. Okay, cool. So, know how how we know how to scale, you know, and you know the the units kind of thing. So, how how is it built? How you know how much does it potentially cost? Okay, so like Cosmos, there is quite a few options here, but what you can do is you can use request units for NoSQL, Mongo, uh, Cassandra, um, Gremlin, and Table. Um, You can do vCore for Postgres and MongoDB. So Postgres is only vCore. So, and as we know about vCore in other, you know, areas, um, that's, you're going to have quite a high barrier to entry with vCore, it's probably worth, you know, just calling out. Right. Now, what's the best way of me explaining this <laughs> on a podcast? <laughs> on a podcast. Um, I'm not going to go into the detail, I don't think, because it's a matrix of options here. Like, it's not... Let me go through the high-level areas that you need to think about. You need to think about whether you're going to auto-scale your provision throughput. You're going to let it ratchet up and down but have provisioned sort of levels, whether you're just going to have standard provision throughput, like just say, nope, 100, 1,000 RUs per second, it's not changing. Whether you're going to go serverless and not have to worry about any of that. Whether you're Postgres and you're paying for vCore per node, and also whether you're MongoDB and you're paying vCore per node. Um, But I'll 
I'll just give you some quoted figures in the standard provision throughput because that's relatively easy to understand. So the price per 100 RUs per second of a single region is $5.84 a month. And I think we said that you had to have a minimum of 400, right, to have provision throughput. So you're looking at about 20-ish, maybe $25 a month, something like that. But what's good is when you start to look at um, serverless um, provisioning. Um, because when you go to serverless, um, you effectively pay, um, you pay 30 cents in dollars um, per 1 million RUs that you consume. So there's no minimum limit. There's just what you consume. But my assumption would be, because I've never hit it at the high levels, that you would be paying more for serverless for the flexibility at high throughputs. You know, like we see in all other serverless technologies, you know, when you hammer function apps or logic apps, you know, it is more expensive, but the massive benefit is at lower scales. You have a much lower barrier to entry um, effectively. Um, and there's like a cost per, per gigabyte. And I think it's worth saying that all of these prices are per region or per node. You know, if you move into that scenario that Alan talked about is having, you know, multi nodes to get your high availability, you're going to be paying this um, in, in each uh, region. There's also auto scaling um, provisioned throughput. And this is where this is quite a nice uh, way to go as well. Because what you can basically do is you can, I think the minimum that you've got to assign is a thousand RU, but it can scale down to 10% of that. So it can scale down to a hundred RU, which is lower than the 400 minimum of the standard provision throughput. So if you provision a thousand RU, that's going to cost you in a single region that's going to cost you around $60 a month. But if you're not using 1,000 RU, it will auto scale down to 100 RU and it will, you know, it will manage that for you. And you'll only be paying about $6 a month for it. But it will also give you the flexibility to at any time um, scale up. So, so that sounds like, you know, you you have your sort of max what you think your throughput is what your your peak's going to be um and then all you do is when it when it's low you pay in effect 10 percent of it when it's at its lowest point exactly so if you had two yeah. if you had two two you know, two thousand rus then you'd you'd pay minimum of 200 RUs sort of thing yeah yeah, yeah that that's quite the that's lowest good. yeah yeah because yeah, like you can have as many containers and accounts as you want and they're all like six bucks a month but you've also got the you know you've got also got the ability to scale up right and you've so that's a great starting point basically um we've just talked about like individual regions basically there's also a difference in price in terms of like how you set them up so uh, for instance if you have a single region uh right but with a data distributed across multiple regions you're paying that price per region uh, but it's probably worth calling out if you have multi-region right used to be called multi-master um, where you're potentially writing you know to get better throughput 
globally you can allow people to write from different like nodes basically and it'll it'll sort everything out and make it consistent um you're paying twice as much per ru to have it in write mode but for all regions so if you want if you want the flexibility and you want five nines you're paying twice as much per ru so instead of you know for that for a hundred ru scale down you're not paying six dollars a month you're paying twelve dollars a month but you are getting a globally distributed system that has multi-write support and five nines of uptime so it seems like quite a low barrier to entry if 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 you're the type of organization that needs that scalability and needs that availability that is not a a high barrier to entry at all for those types of organization um and just quickly to talk about vcore per node um it's it is different between mongodb and postgres but for instance you're paying um you'll pay it's just because the resources are different but for uh for postgres as an example um a, a single v core that's burstable with two gigabytes of memory is um 17 dollars per month um it does jump up quite uh that's a burstable instance it does jump up quite a lot if you don't go for a burstable. If you want like straight two V core with eight gig of RAM as an example, you look at $186 a month uh, for Postgres. But you know, on the you know cost of you know hosting it in a virtual machine, um, that isn't you know um, crazy. But that is single node, right? Um, Multi node. Um, Multi-node requires you to have bigger node size. So you have to go to four vCore per node and you have to have a coordinator as well. Um, and you'll start at the starting price of a, 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 a multi, uh, sorry, a multi-node node starts at $460 per month. So if you do want that global acid guarantee and that relational side of things, your barrier to entry is going to be a lot higher. But... If you're the type of organization that needs that, again, building that, you know, sort of platform yourself is going to be expensive and people cost a lot of money <laughs> um, as well. So th there's there's all of that to put into the mix. OK, cool. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of um, options there. And like you said, some that are low barrier to entry and some that are quite high once you start getting to the more, you know, kind of thing. Um Okay, is there anything else that you might have think you might have missed, or is there any other sort of episodes that we've done previously that might sort of tie in? Um, there's, I don't think there's anything else that I want to to cover. My only sort of takeaway is is um, go and have a look at it. Um, it might seem um, scary. It was definitely scary to me when I started to look at it because I was thinking this is, you know, this is going to be a whole new thing and it's got all these buzzwords and you know and it's it can do all these things and it's going to add a lot a lot of complexity but actually when you peel and i think you've been through this more recently alan once you peel once you get into cosmos it's it's not actually 
there's not that much you can configure in Cosmos, is there? Like you, you, you build it and then you use it. It's as simple as that. Yeah, it's, it's quite it's, boring. Uh, yeah, it's like, like you said, it's the capability looks really scary, but then when you get in there, it's like a few clicks and bang, I've got a NoSQL database and I can start sending stuff to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, I don't have a previous episode call out um, because we haven't done any um, database thing. The only one I thought um, maybe about was um, Chaos Studio, um, because if you're building these fault tolerant, high availability apps, um, you want to make sure that um, touch wood, it doesn't. But when <laughs> Cosmos DB does go down with your five, ni- <laughs> five nines of um, <laughs> SLA that you've paid for, um, it isn't kicking in. Um, you'll want Chaos Studio. And what Chaos Studio can do is it can test how fault tolerant your app is uh, by injecting um, sort of fake um, infrastructure and platform related events um, to sort of uh, introduce chaos, but manage it in a controlled way. Um, So yeah, check out that episode, um, season four, episode 11. Uh, Alan, your um, episode um, next for next week, um, what are you covering? Yep. So uh, I'm going to be covering Microsoft Entra external IDs. Um, so I think this is there's some uh, enhanced features that have come in with this version because um, brief previously this was called um, Azure AD B to C business to customer um, and I think uh, with the sort of venture rebrand and some of the other stuff that's come out recently um, the external ID has now had sort of a uh, a feature enrichment and yeah we'll just go through that it's not something I use every day um, but yeah we'll definitely um, dive into it and continue our our um, tour of Microsoft Ventura, definitely. Okay, yeah, that sounds great. I I do love I do do love B two C. It's a great product. It's not called B two C anymore. I should use its new name, but yeah, <laughs> it's good. <laughs> it's gonna be a great episode. Cool. Okay, so did you enjoy this episode? If so, please do consider leaving us a review on Apple or Spotify. This really helps us reach people just like you. Um, if if you have any specific feedback or suggestions on episodes. Um, we have a link in our show notes to get in contact with us. And if you've made it this far, uh, thanks for listening and we'll catch you up on the next one. Yeah, thanks all.